Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. Welcome to episode 22 of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you aboard. And as always, my cohorts for this episode are coming to you from the Horror Countdown podcast. It is Mr. Don and Ellie. How the hell are you doing, Don? Yeah, doing good. Always happy to be here. And coming to us from the main show, No More Room in Hell, it is Mr. Derek B. How you doing, Derek? Rawhead! <laughs> I think Derek's excited. <laughs> All right, folks. So if that didn't give it away, our movie this month is, of course, uh, Rawhead Rex, one of Clive Barker's first. I think it's technically a second screenplay. After Underworld, which came yeah, out the year before this. Yeah, I think that's 85. Yeah, 85. Yeah, same director, same everything. So, yeah, so this would be Clive Barker's second story turned into a uh, a film. This, of course, is Rawhead Rex. It comes to us from the Books of Blood, Volume 3. It was one of the, I think there were four or five short stories in Volume 3. For those who don't know, Clive Barker wrote the Books of Blood, there are six volumes of them. They all came out in the uh, the span of a calendar year. Basically, they just published one every two months for a year. And uh, each one had anywhere from four to six short stories in them. So Rawhead Rex comes to us from volume three of the Books of Blood. But before we actually get into our feature review this month, of course... How can I not bring up the 300-foot monster in the room one more time, just on the off chance that you guys aren't completely sick of it? Of course, I am talking about Godzilla, and the movie, of course, is Godzilla Minus One. I just wanted to bring it up one more time real quick, because Godzilla Minus One has already hit one major milestone, and it's about to hit another milestone. Potentially, it may have already hit the milestone. Uh, the numbers I'm looking at may not be ultra current to today. I am on boxofficemojo.com looking at those numbers. And currently, Godzilla Minus One is sitting at 98.2 million in worldwide uh, profits. So potentially, if this weekend it could hit two, it would hit 100 million, which would be a milestone for Toho, of course. A Toho Godzilla movie hitting 100 million dollars would be a first and major accomplishment. And then yeah. the other feat, uh, and the other feat that this movie has already hit is it has made over 50 million dollars domestically here in the states, which again is a first for a Toho Godzilla. Of course, we're not talking about the legendary Godzillas, but for Toho, the, the originators, where they finally got themselves a $50 million blockbuster here in the States. So, of course, you know we're going to get a sequel to this one. I've even heard the director uh, kind of talk about what he wants to do, that he actually wants to do a direct sequel to this movie. Obviously, nothing is planned out. Nothing is official anyway. I'm sure they're in the pre-production stages right now. But um, just he, he was talking, you know... Uh, basically saying what he would like to do since, I mean, he's, he's not even attached to the project, but he's saying that if he were to be attached to the project, he would love to do a direct sequel to Godzilla minus one. 
Uh, we all saw what we saw at the end of Godzilla Minus One, so we know that G-Cells could potentially be a factor or a plot point for our next Godzilla movie. Oh, uh, bring back so. Japanese Kenny Loggins from Violante. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might get that giant rose monster coming back, which definitely you'd get no complaint from me. Violante is a great movie, and I would love to see a modern take on that one. But, of course, we will see what the future brings us in the realm of Godzilla, both from Toho and from the States. Obviously, the Monarch series, I believe all ten episodes are now available. You can watch that in its entirety. I am only about halfway through it myself, and I am absolutely loving it. I'm not sure if you guys have watched it yet or have Oh, isn't it just crazy? Like, that fucking whole, like, like you know, the show started out, like, you know, the first episode, I'm, like, watching it, and it's going through, like, the back and forth between the present time. But the present stuff is, like, you are the father. <laughs> you know, like, that whole <laughs> subplot is, like, fucking crazy. Like, it is that's fucked up. <laughs> Definitely interesting, yeah. And it was great to see, of course, Big G make his first appearance in the series about halfway through episode three when they were testing a nuclear device on him. Operation Crossroads. Oh, man, I try not to laugh because obviously the governments involved in the Monarch series at this point probably don't know that, that it's nuclear radiation that actually created Godzilla. So obviously, as we're watching this, us hardcore Godzilla fans are like, hmm, you're going to fight Godzilla with basically what it needs to survive. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm. OK. And of like course, breakfast. it gets the exact. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's an interesting series. Uh, like I said, I'm only about halfway through it currently just because, you know, December was a crazy month for me with being sick and, you know, tragedies in the family and everything else. So mm. I'm just now getting back on track with watching stuff. So I'm actually still watching 2023 movies, just stuff that I miss that maybe won't. Obviously, our top 10 list is already out. So it, nothing really list worthy, but just trying to catch up on some stuff that I missed out on. So obviously TV shows are included there. So of yeah. course, Monarch, I am in the middle of. So fingers crossed that the series keeps going as good as it has started. All right. So with that said, folks, let's go ahead and get into our feature presentation. As I mentioned earlier, we are looking at 1986's Rawhead Rex. What I saw wasn't human. Oh, my God. It was very tall. And what's more, it saw me. This thing. Rated R coming in at an hour and 29 minutes. This is, uh, of course, written by Clive Barker based on his original short story by the same title, Rawhead Rex, that appeared in the Books of Blood, Volume 3. So, you know, obviously 
you you would think that you would get a pretty good adaptation of the original story, considering you have the original author doing the screenplay as well. But obviously, there's always going to be studio interference and budgetary interference, and we'll get into all of that, some of the history of the movie as we get through it. The movie is, of course, directed by George Pavlo, who, as I mentioned earlier, also directed Clive Barker's first screenplay, Underworld, the previous year. So obviously they have a relationship at this point. So, you know, hopefully we see that the seeds of those relationships kind of start to blossom here in Rawhead Rex. Are we going <laughs> to see that? Let's find out. No. Our, <laughs> our synopsis on IMDb is as follows. An ancient creature called Rawhead is awakened from its slumber near an, in, an Irish village, excuse me, and goes on a rampage killing anyone in sight. Well, almost anyone. Every now and again he hypnotizes someone, but yeah, we'll get into that too. <laughs> so let's go ahead and start with our general thoughts. I've already gone over some of the basic information about the movie. Let's go ahead and bring in the man who picked this movie, Mr. Derek B. Give me some general thoughts on Rawhead Rex. You know you know what the funny thing is though about is jokingly at the end of the minus one episode I'm like just Rawhead Rex <laughs> And that joke mm. became reality. Yeah. And uh Yeah, you know, I I've seen this movie a few times now. As like a basic like folk horror monster movie, it's pretty fun. But as a Clyde Bacher adaptation, it's kind of jarring when you think that he wrote the screenplay for this one. And the you know, and then you find out you know this was made in like '86. Weirdly, this is movies as old as I am. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> shut up. That's an, yeah, but uh, but you know they had didn't have like. Probably, like, you know, the studio that was involved probably didn't have the budget to make, like, that short story actually happen. And even if you read that short story, it's been years since I actually read the original short story that this movie was based on, to give and take. But, you know, if you know Clyde Bacher at all, he's very sexualized in his writing, you know, because uh, he likes a lot of leather in this movie. He got some leather in this movie. Yes, he uh, does. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't see them doing, like, a really good direct adaptation of the original source material and the time period that this came out, and I don't know how it would be received. I know Clyde Barker has a, a history with uh, hating this movie. Uh, this is actually one of the re this movie and uh, Transmutations is one of the reasons why he actually became a director himself, because he wanted to... You know, he wouldn't trust a lot of directors that make adaptations of his work after this movie. And, uh, you know, that's how we got Hellraiser and, like, him directing Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions later on in his career. Yeah, as a movie itself, if you take that out of context, you know, if you just shut your brain off and just think of it as, like, a folk horror creature feature, you know, it has, like, all those folk story beats to it you know they dig something out of the ground something else comes out of the ground that they dig it out of you know kind of like like blood on satan's claw there the white worm they kind of follow that same beginning structure you know if the, you know it sets off a chain of events some cheesy actor in this movie like the guy who plays the main guy in this movie he's like i think i've seen something you know what I mean? I, I saw something in the woods over there. 
Like, he's, like, reading cue cards off in the fucking corner or something. <laughs> you know, like, the villain, you know, like, kind of like the Irish actors that they did get in this movie kind of, you know, gives it, like, that flavor of, like, Irish mm-hmm. tone that I kind of dig. And, you know, the scene where they're at, like, this Irish carny fucking uh, eight-mile, you know. The trailer fucking, park? Trailer park scene. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like. How can I hate, you know, there's a scene where this monster just pisses on this priest, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I see what they do here, you know, it's like, and Rawhead Rex, you know, even though it's not, like, the design of the actual monster itself, if you look up images of it, what it's supposed to look like, it's kind of funny, like, because I was watching, uh, actually, Mr. Venom bought me the 4K of this for my birthday one year. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. It, you know, I'm like... There's a lot of makeup involved in this creature, right? But then they have the interview with the actual dude who plays Rawhead Rex. I'm like, he looks exactly like Rawhead Rex in real life. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's kind of fucking weird. Like, he even has the same hair. It's fucking crazy. But uh, (laughs) there's definitely a lot of faults with this movie. But I have fun watching it. You know, I can't say, like, it's a good movie, but it's kind of like, Tolerable, it's watchable, if that makes sense. I, I have a blast with it, you know what I mean? But I, I understand that there's faults with the movie, too. Oh, yeah? By by sheer definition, this is absolutely a cult film. So, yeah, there's always going to be maybe some issues with its filmmaking. Obviously, usually budgetary, but despite it all, movies like this tend to, you know, survive and be talked about. 20, 30, 40 years later. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that this movie deserves all the accolades that it gets. But before I jump in here, let's go ahead and bring Don in. Don, why don't you go ahead and give me some general thoughts on Rawhead Rex. All right, so uh, this was a um, first-time watch since I, I originally watched it back in 2004. So it's been uh, exactly 20 years uh, since I first saw it. Um, it's fun. Uh, I'm not going to say it's, you know, great or anything, but, uh, I, I, I do enjoy the, the setup. Um, you know, like Derek said, it's, you know, got this whole core background, you know, you know, you bring the family in and their travels around the countryside and what they're doing that, uh, you know, it, it kind of has like a fun little be- uh, beginning stages where the, they're digging up the, obel- you know, the penis. Obelisk. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to dance around it, but uh, I, I mean, it's not exactly uh, not exactly hidden, if you know what I mean. You're just trying to bounce around describing it, but yeah, you know, you've got all that in the beginning, and then you know, Rex, you know, Rawhead appears and goes on a rampage, and you know, it's just it, it's like you know, traditional fun little creature feature slasher kind of a mix. Yeah, you know, his encounters are you know very much like a creature feature, but it's you know set up like a slasher movie where he's just going around killing everybody he meets. Um, you know, it, it has some fun little encounters here and there. Just, oh my God, the design of this thing is just a fucking nightmare. Uh, it, he looks awful. I don't, I don't give two flying fucks about how close it is to the original design. The one we get here is awful. Um, the, the mask is just absolutely ridiculously immobile. He Power never Rangers, moves. Yeah. Yeah, he never moves. He never changes his expression. It's just the same glory red eyes. Yeah, it, 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 he really, really becomes much more of a distraction 
than I expected him to be because I I hadn't seen the film in 20 years. So, um, yeah, that that whole thing's a, a mistake. And then the the finale is just too over. It's just too over overly complicated. There's just too much going on. You know, not all of it's explained. Uh, you know, they, you get a half-ass explanation. You know, with how the uh, the statue works to you know combat him, but then even that's not really fully um, explored. The whole thing for me is how the the good priest, the one that we know, you know, he we know he's the good priest. How he strings the the events, the how he strings everything along, just because he's unwilling to see what's going on in front of him. Like that whole plot line just absolutely makes no sense. Like it would make more sense if it was the corrupted priest that would, you know, try to dissuade him from, you know, investigating further. But it's the good priest. Why is he the one that's not seeing what's going on? That that whole thing just doesn't make any sense for me. But yeah, it can't be fun. Um, I, I can't say it's, you know, a bad time. You know, you just turn your brain off and enjoy. Um, that's definitely going to be where I think the majority of this one's going to land. You know, the just mindless entertainment, just watching the, you know, this thing run around slicing people or, you know, biting them and ripping their arms off and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And, and that's, yeah, that too. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, there is a, a lot more of, their bodily fluids on display than just you know um, bloodshed and gore. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, yeah, if you're watching it in that sense, it's a fun time. Um, you know, if you're trying to put your thinking cap on or you're going to look at this critically, you're probably not going to enjoy it. But I, I don't mind it. It's a fun time uh, as it is. Um, I don't have any inclination towards reading the short stories based on. I couldn't give a damn. Uh, it's not for me, but. Uh, like I said, if you're just going in for mindless slaughter, you're going to enjoy it. So I guess that's pretty much all on my end. Yeah, my story is very, very similar to Don's. In fact, I, it's been it's been even more than 20 years for me since I've seen it. I haven't seen Rawhead Rex since the 90s. I think I watched it after I watched Hellraiser 2. Just because somebody told me, oh, this is another, you know, Clive Barker story that was turned into a movie, and I watched it, and I think at the time I had a, a pretty good time with it. I don't think I was as judgmental on budgets, you know, when I saw a low-budget movie with maybe not the greatest acting, I wouldn't necessarily dismiss it automatically uh, when I was younger. So, yeah, when I saw this in the 90s, I definitely for the most part, enjoyed it. So, yeah, same thing with Don. This was basically a first-time watch for me because about the only thing that I remembered about this movie was the basic design of Rawhead Rex. And I agree with Don, and I mildly disagree with Don. Like, I, I think the design of Rawhead Rex was okay. It's the fact that they used foam rubber for all, for the entirety of the costume. So basically, he couldn't change expressions. He couldn't, I mean, he couldn't even turn his head because the mask was part of the, the mask and the shoulders were all one piece. So literally, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't turn his head. So literally, if he wanted to look at something on his side, he had to turn his entire your body with Batman. Yes, exactly. Michael Keaton, Batman. And, it, and after a while, it got painfully obvious that that's what was happening. But all in all, 
if you don't go into this movie expecting some kind of creature feature masterpiece, I think most people are going to have a good time with it. It is a low budget movie. It doesn't have a whole lot of effects. Yeah, there's a little bit of gore here and there, but it's minimal at best for, especially for hardcore horror fans like us. The gore is minimal. The storytelling isn't bad, but it's missing so much. Like the short story, and this isn't even based on a novel. Like, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, wow, this must have been based on a novel because it feels like there's just so much missing from the story. But it's actually taken from a short story. But even in the short story, they're able to give us so much more about the underlying themes of this story. Like, like yes, we get some allusion to that as we're watching the finished product, the film, but they don't even talk that much about the idol that Don was just talking about. I, I call it a fertility idol because to me it looks like a fertility idol. It yeah. looks like a little female pregnant statue with a vagina on the front of it. So yeah. to me, that yeah, that's a, a fertility doll or a fertility idol statue, whatever you want to go with. And the fact that it doesn't work for our main character, uh, Howard, played by David Dukes, but it does work for his wife, Elaine, played by Kelly Piper. By the way, David Dukes and Kelly Piper are the only real actors in this movie. Most of the other people in this movie are extras. I think Declan, the guy who played the Verger, actually was like a local Irish actor. But most of the other... Oscar. <laughs> Honestly, it was a pretty over-the-top, insane performance. <laughs> Definitely. As, you know, as the Verger. And those who don't know what a Verger is, basically it's a caretaker of a church. So they're still ordained into the brotherhood, so they still wear, like, the frock and the white collar and everything, but they're not priests or ministers or anything. They're called vergers. So, because I heard that term, and I didn't know what the hell that was, because I had heard vicar before, because this movie is painfully Irish. I mean, it's painfully Irish. <laughs> and, you, you know, depending on your knowledge of Irish local culture and cinema and stuff like that, some of the terms in here maybe you know, are yeah. completely foreign to you. So. Yeah. I uh -huh. actually wrote about that on my original 2004 review because I pulled it up to compare, and I did complain about the Irishness as a drawback to the film when I originally wrote it back then. <laughs> the Irishness. The Irishness. Listen, Lair yeah. the White Worm. Irish. Uh, uh, but, yeah, again, like I said, this is just... You know, it's a silly creature. Uh, going back to the creature design, like I said, I, I liked it when he's standing still, but once he has to start moving and chasing people, and some of the scenes where it just is standing in one place and kind of flailing its arms and roaring, yeah, Whoa. looks a little silly, especially because a lot of this movie does take place during the day, so we do get a lot of full lit shots of Rawhead Rex, especially the very first kill uh, when he goes after the farm couple. And that's another thing. I mean, uh, uh, back to the storytelling, how this movie just avoids so much. Like, if you never read the short story, you probably have no idea why Rawhead let that pregnant woman live. Like, literally. Just, I mean, you could you could fill in your own idea if you really yeah. wanted to. I kind of um, guessed it was because later on with the reveal of the maternity statue, the fertility statue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's definitely all intertwined. But the fact of the matter is, and and this comes from an interview from Steve Bissett um, on the 4K, you know, that Derek uh, previously mentioned. There's an interview with Steve Bissett. Steve is a comic book artist 
who was supposed to do the comic book adaptation of uh, Rawhead Rex, but then the rights got sold before he was actually able to finish his version of the graphic novel. But he talks about how in the original story, Raw, uh, Rawhead Rex is legitimately scared of maternity. He is scared of the power of the female because it's the females that create life. You know, I mean, obviously we have a part in that, a pretty major the part. The penis creates but, death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you know, um, that was the whole thing. And that Rawhead Rex himself is basically a personification of the male id. The basic, basically the uncontrolled, mailed masculinity, toxic masculinity, if you will. I mean, it, this movie is almost being kind of ahead of its time, if you will. And that makes sense because it is Clive Barker. You know, he is a homosexual author. For those who don't know, Clive Barker mm. is gay, but you should know by now. Uh, With all the leather and movies. Exactly. Come on now. So it is interesting to see this gay man write stories about the masculinity uh, and uh, the the patriarchy kind of being brought down by women. And, you know, when you know more about the author, it definitely makes a lot more sense, blah, blah, blah. He's not necessarily saying that men are bad and women are good. But he's talking about that by nature, women are are nurturing and men are destructive. Destructive, you know. We be, you know we're anger, we are aggression, uh, we're sexuality. You know, we want to kill it, eat it, and fuck it. And if we can't do one of those three things to it, we don't care about it. You know, that that's basically rawhead Rex. He is the unfettered male ego. But you don't get that really in the movie. You get hints of it here and there. Um, now, granted, I'm not saying that I want the other end of the spectrum where the movie ends up being really heavy handed with its message. No, that's even worse. But they still definitely could have done a little bit more, maybe given us a little bit more about Rawhead Rex's kind of backstory, because that's another thing that we don't really get. We, we get a taste of it in this movie. But in the short story, we find out that he was actually a king. He was a king of this region before Christians, basically before recorded human history. And that when Christianity started becoming more and more popular and bigger, Christians started moving into the area and they couldn't accept this ultra, God. yeah, this basically pagan monster <laughs> as the king of the region. So that's when, you know, they did what is portrayed in the stained glass throughout the church in this film. Yeah. That the fact that they rose up and, you know, trapped them under a phallic statue. <laughs> because ultimately, and that's another thing that we don't know, that we don't hear in the movie, Rawhead Rex is eternal. They mention it in the story, but again, in the movie, they don't mention that. And, you know, it maybe it makes the sting at the end of this movie a little bit better that you don't know that he's eternal, but, you know, whatever. Um, you take the sting at the end as you will. But like I said, we'll get to, we'll get back to that. There's some great little references in here. I mean, the pub in the town is called the tall man. How great is that? Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> Imagine uh, yeah. if the tall man was the button. Oh, my God. It would be a little too meta, but it would be fucking awesome, nonetheless. It was like the fucking Giallo, the fucking yep. Fatal Frames, when he just appears. <laughs> the library's over here. <laughs> uh, did you guys notice the date that this movie takes place on? It, no, it I didn't. Yeah, they show it very briefly in in the very first attack after Rawhead basically destroys that woman's kitchen and then goes to attack her, but then stops because she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. In yeah. that scene, the camera is passing, it, it's panning through the floor, and it 
it goes by one of those calendars that only displays the, you know, like not a traditional calendar that displays the whole month, but like a desk calendar that just yeah, yeah, displays yeah. the day. It's fucking oh, Friday like the, the 13th. Pages off. Yeah. Friday the 13th. Back, it's Friday the 13th. <laughs> Rawhead Rex was I'll have to look that up. I'll on Friday the 13th. I tried to look it up and I couldn't really find too much about it, but I went back in the movie and I rewound. Yeah, check the scene. It's after the farmhouse attack when the police get there and the camera pans across the room. You see the desk calendar on the floor and it says Friday the 13th. So I didn't notice the month, but it's it's England. It's always cold and rainy over there. Or excuse me, it's Ireland. So it's always cold and rainy over there. So you never know what time of year it is. But yeah, just like little nods like that throughout the movie are obviously really, really cool. Obviously, you know, when the priest kind of holds the cross up to Rawhead Rex, thinking that it might have some effect on it, you know, you're bringing vampire mythology into it. Obviously, he's a priest. He doesn't know any better. He he goes with the defense that he knows. But, um, yeah, all in all, like I said, uh, just like Derek, I had a pretty good time with this movie. I'm not going to say that it's objectively good, necessarily, but based on the fact that it is a low budget, based on the fact that this is, for the most part, not an ultra-professional crew. Like I said, a lot of locals from Ireland, obviously filming under tight restraints, having to film it in a quick time window, things like that. Kind of a, all of that together affects the, uh, you know, the, the final product. Obviously, the studio interfering, because the original designs, you know, Derek has that 4K as well. There, there is a photo gallery in there that shows the original designs that they wanted to make Rawhead Rex look like, but again, it looked too phallic to the point where it literally, he looked like he was an uncircumcised penis because he literally had a foreskin that he wore around his head and neck. And the description was that whenever he would open its mouth to attack someone, it would look like the foreskin kind of is pulled back on his head. I mean, yeah, Clive definitely was was a little heavy-handed with the message, at least in the story, in the short story for this one. So, yeah, just obviously, I mean, you're not going to make a, a giant phallic monster who kills women and children. Um, as, maybe not in 86. I mean, maybe it would come off as like a, maybe if trauma made it or something like that, it might have come off as effective. Christopher or, Nolan's or, Rawhead Rex. Or, or, or what's his name? Um Henenlotter, right? Basket case. Yeah, freaking. Like, yeah. There you go. Maybe he could do something like that and potentially make it work. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously the film crew did what they what they could. Uh, it is a very religious story. You know, it's based around a church because that's where they end up finding the idol, the fertility idol that ends up defeating Rex in what is a pretty lackluster ending. But I literally didn't know this until I watched the interviews on this 4K. So I'm very glad that I picked it up for myself as well, because there's there's actually a story about this movie. Basically, their budget was at zero and they hadn't uh, recorded the ending yet. That entire ending basically hadn't been recorded yet. And they had no money, literally zero dollars in the budget. The entire crew walked out because they weren't getting paid anymore. They were like, well, fuck it. You know, if we're not if there's no more money, we're out of here. Basically, the filmmakers decided to write this quick, cheesy little ending that would basically rely on post-production effects. 
So if you watch the scene, there's a lot of like special effects and stuff that are done in post, you know, spirits and wisps kind of whipping around the, the yeah, sp- yeah. They did that. Ernest gave stupid too. Exactly. And basically, um, our finale is, uh, our main character, Howard, tries to use the fertility doll, but does, it doesn't work for him. You, you know, he has no idea why. He's basically doing what he saw on the stained glass windows in the church. Because he thought the for- thing was a man. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, after he is, um, disarmed by Rex, uh, his wife ends up picking up the idol. She ends up holding the idol up above her head, and suddenly we see like blue sparks and lasers. Yeah, and it turns into like an Earth, Wind, and Fire video. Exactly, a '70s Earth, Wind, and Fire video, big time. Hmm. Um, and it's one of those endings that almost doesn't make sense because she's not saying anything, so it's not like there's any magic words involved or an incantation or you know, a binding, you know, a binding spell or something. Literally, she just lifts this thing over her head. And my theory is that it, I think that the reason it works for her, the obvious reason would be that she's a woman. And that it's a fertility doll, and She's it would probably only work for a woman. Yes, thank you, Derek. Oh, you're you're smart. I love it. That was my theory: is that if a woman who didn't have kids picked up that idol, it would have the same effect as if a man picked it up, because she she doesn't have that that woman doesn't have the power of the mother, and that is what Rawhead Rex is scared of. Again, established in the story, not in the, the power film. of the mother compels you. Yeah, maternity basically terrifies Rawhead Rex. And they don't portray that in the movie because when he attacks the farmhouse wife who is pregnant, he goes to attack her and literally swipes down at her belly and stops right before he makes contact with the belly. I I think it's because he didn't know she was pregnant until he saw the – yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. My point is that they don't convey that he's scared of the woman. Mm-hmm. It's almost it's almost like he's letting. Oh her yeah, he's picking he's picking one girl up and giving her like Undertaker chokeslam later in the movie during exactly. the trailer parks. You know. <laughs> so yeah, so like I said, the fact that the story establishes that Rawhead is actually scared of maternity makes that scene seem like it's missing something. But again, like I said, there's a lot of scenes in this movie. If you're familiar with the short story, there's a lot of scenes in this movie that are missing, that, you know, they're big, major uh, plot points that we don't get that kind of change the story. Even a backstory, in the short story, we even find out a little bit about the woman who first wielded the fertility doll who first defeated Rawhead Rex, you know, back hundreds of years ago. We get none of that in this movie. So, you know, mm-hmm. again, the, they made the decisions that they made. Could the movie have been better if they expanded more on the story, maybe. I mean, I can't guarantee it necessarily. I mean, they could have fucked it up even more. Who knows? But it's the kind of thing where I would have liked to have seen a little bit more explanation. You know, there's a scene in the movie where, <laughs> and we've already joked about it a couple of times, Piss. where Lawhead Rex actually pisses on on the on the verger, the guy who's actually kind of like his disciple, trying to help. Yeah, out of nowhere he becomes his disciple too after he gets possessed by the ray. Exactly, and it's like my question is: Was the pissing on him supposed to be like baptizing him, mm-hmm. or was it supposed to be the animalistic marking of your territory, like I pee on you now you belong to me? 
Or is that a legitimate baptism? Like he's saying, I now accept you into my ranks or obviously we'll probably never get a direct answer, but it was just something that I was thinking about because I, it would almost be funnier if he was just pissing on him to say, yeah, yeah, you belong to me now. Get out of here. You know, just something like, you know, don't even look at him like as a human being. He's just like a piece of shit that, you know, helps you out every now and again. Ultimately, this guy did, didn't really do anything for Rawhead Rex. Rex was released by accident. He was just a hype man. He's like, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And he's just as useless as a hype man, too. (laughs) Sorry to all the, all the hype men that are listening, but yeah. Oh, he's a slave of flame. He's like, I'm a slave slave of Rawhead. Yeah. Exactly. So even though he does absolutely nothing for Rawhead Rex, he continues to act like they're on the same side to the point where he even commands Rawhead Rex to murder somebody, kill that motherfucker, I think are his exact words, and Rex just says, fuck it, turns around and kills him instead. Now, now, in what now, is not a very good kill scene, by the way. Now, the whole thing about this whole fucking church, so... Uh-huh. It was like, if this this church was trying to, like, display Christianity, wouldn't they have, like, all the stained glass replaced by this you time? You would think. Thank you. There was very little iconography of Jesus in that church. <laughs> it's all monsters and shit. Yeah. But, yeah, they're, they're killed, though. Um, and then some interesting facts that I got from the production of the film while watching the special features that Derek, I'm sure, has already watched himself. The actor who played Rawhead Rex, Heinrich von Schellendorf, was actually 19 when he played this character. Yes, that is a 19-year-old, six foot seven basketball player, German basketball player, underneath the costume that is Rawhead Rex. And, and his skin uh, turned into the costume over years. <laughs> and uh, uh let's see the costume took about two hours to put on every day a little over two hours considering it was mostly like uh, the clothing like the outfit and then that one... Rex is a fan of judas priest for sure oh big time i mean he's a metalhead by far he definitely likes man of war or iron maiden or one of those leather clad bands absolutely but like i said despite this thing being mostly costume and not as much makeup it still took two hours to put on, because obviously there is some makeup involved. Once you get the mask on, the mask and shoulders set up, you have to, you know, fill in, uh, you know, fill in spots with makeup, with the monster makeup, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so basically two hours, which he hated. He hated the fact that he had to be in this costume, you know, two hours to put on, two hours to take off, and then eight to 12 hours in between of just running around, you know, sweating your ass off while you're, uh, you know, Doing pretending to be Rawhead Rex. Yeah. And he's a 19-year-old kid. Like I said, this is literally his first movie that he ever did. The story is that he actually um, went in to audition for one of the other characters in the movie, but his English wasn't good enough. I think he was auditioning for the boyfriend, um, the trailer park boyfriend who oh, ends up getting guy. his hand cut off. Yeah. They they had requested people who are bilingual, people who speak two languages, and Heinrich speaks English and German. But as it turns out, his English wasn't good enough to play that character in the movie. So he ended up going home, you know, kind of depressed and sad that he didn't get that, you know, he still hasn't gotten his first gig. But then they remembered that he's six foot seven and he's only 19. So he's still fairly thin, you know, so you could play around with the costume, with the muscles and everything and not make it look ridiculous 
ridiculously thick, if you will. So they ended up calling him back to be the creature, and he happily accepted. He took the job. His first gig, I don't know that he's really acted in much stuff after this. I didn't actually look it up, but... He's actually a great guy. He does an interview on the 4K, and he has a great attitude about everything. You know, despite some of the hard times that he had on set, he he even, not on the 4K, but on a video that I found on YouTube, some, some extra research that I did, uh, he, talks, he talks about a story where he got mad at one of the stuntmen because they put on his costume, and he got mad. He was like, no, no, no. I am the only one allowed to wear the costume. I am Rawhead Rex and no one else. The stuntman obviously just put it on just kind of on a, as a whim. It was sitting there, and he just decided, oh, I'm going to put it on and see how I look. And Heinrich got really pissed off at him, so I found that kind of funny. And he's laughing about it now 40 years later because ultimately it is funny. David Dukes. Apparently David Dukes, the man who plays Howard, our main you know male character in the movie, um, was a little bit of a perfectionist uh, to the point – where he was actually changing lines live, like on set. Um, he Basically, he would read the script and he would be like, yeah, I don't think that this really feels like a natural line or whatever. And he would literally change lines on the script, which a, a lot of actors are known for doing that. But usually it's actors named, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and and uh, Tom Hanks and shit, not David Dukes. So, um, so he wasn't a very popular person on the set. From what I understand, him and and uh, Kelly Piper, who played his wife in the movie, kind of stayed separate from most of the production. They were Americans, whereas everybody else on the production was either Irish or English. So I don't, I don't know if there was animosity there or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, it turns out that there is a scene that was deleted that was left on the cutting room floor and never preserved where Rawhead Rex actually bites the head off the kid that he pulls out of that car. Now, the fact that Rawhead Rex will attack a kid makes me endlessly happy, because I say kids are, they're just as fair game as any as men and women in a horror movie, uh, but not a lot of horror movies have the balls to do it. This one did, my friends, and they even, like I said, they shot a scene where he literally bit the kid's head off and ate it. Unfortunately, when they were putting the final cut together, they decided it was a little too intense for this movie and left. They basically cut it out of the movie and the footage was destroyed. So literally we'll never see that, but yeah, it supposedly it did happen, which is pretty cool. George Pavlo, the man who directed this movie had never seen a horror movie before directing this. Think about that. He literally never watched a horror film before directing his own horror film. Um, and all he directed was horror films. And then, yeah, and then after that, that's mostly what he did. So it, def- it definitely shows the progression because a lot of the issues that we have with, like, maybe some of the storytelling and some of the beats that were left out of the short story probably, you know, ties back to George Pavlo, who... Maybe didn't realize how important backstory is to a horror film, you know? Let's see. Yeah, we already talked about Rawhead Rex's original design, that he was basically a rampaging phallus. Um, uh, In the short story, during one of the attacks, it's actually mentioned that when he's killing someone, that, that Rex has a full erection and that his penis is gigantic. You know, like a foot and a half long and thick and white, blah, blah, blah. Tommy Lee. Um, <laughs> Tommy Lee is Raw Hedrex. Uh But, yeah, you know, that's a big part of the, you know, because 
as I said earlier, Clive Barker's intention for Rawhead Rex is that he represents the male ego, the male, you know, um, uh, our masculinity, you know, what controls us, what drives us to be the douchebags that we are, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> do you guys know, and I'm, Derek probably knows because he probably saw the special features, but do you guys know who was supposed to play Rawhead Rex? Oh, shit. Oh, oh, Derek forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while since I watched some of the special features. Yeah, it, it's a quick line. They don't even really harp on it too much. Fucking Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca himself, was oh, offered the role of Rawhead Rex because, he, you know, obviously by size, he had the right size. He's used to being in a costume for, you know, an entire production day, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, his fee was way more than the production could afford, and they ended up going with, you know, just some kid, which is probably why Heinrich got the job at 19, because they probably paid him peanuts. And obviously they don't get the performance that they would have gotten from a Peter Mayhew. Because, I mean, you guys, a lot of people who don't know a lot about acting probably mm-hmm. think that thinks that acting in a costume is easier because you don't have to worry about your face. But it's actually the opposite. It's actually yeah. harder because you have to convey emotion without being able to use your face. You're in a costume. And and Peter Mayhew is one of the best. I mean, how many times has Chewbacca made us, you know, feel the sads, you know? So, yeah, Peter Mayhew in this role would have been incredible, but obviously way outside of the budget for this movie. Now so. I want to remake a Rawhead Rex with Peter Mew with the original design, though. Oh, with the original penis design? Hell yeah, I'm in. <laughs> with the scrotum sweater or the scrotum yeah, turtleneck. Yeah, with the, like furry, chewy <laughs> arms. Oh, the four ne- yeah, the foreskin turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, we talked about how the ending of this movie was just tacked on. Um, basically, because the crew had quit because of the lack of budget, basically, uh, Peter, the, uh, excuse me, George, the director, begged some of his friends who were on the crew to come back just to finish it. So that entire final scene in the cemetery with the lights and the, and the, and the fertility statue and everything, that was literally shot by a skeleton crew and shot for no money. Literally, they worked for free that night. So that kind of shows the quality of it. You know, obviously the effects look cheesy. I mean, even the story, like, like they don't even really explain how this fertility statue just happens to defeat Rawhead Rex. It just does it. You know, it just happens. And we have to accept it as the viewer. But, yeah, a little bit more um, expansion on that part of the story would have been awesome. And then the last little factoid I have, and this one, this might just be me as an old man finding this fascinating. I don't know how many of our listeners are even going to know who this person is. Um, but the little girl in this movie, um, the character's name was Minty Hallenbach. She was the little sister in the family. Uh-huh. Uh, the I gotta act- go the actresses- yeah. yeah, I gotta go pee. Yep, that girl. Uh, the actress's name is Cora Venus Looney. And her father is Donovan. And for those who don't know, Donovan was an English pop star who had a couple of major hits with Mellow Yellow and Season of the Witch, which I actually love that. Hurdy Gurdy Man, too. Yes, Hurdy Gurdy Man. Thank you, Derek. So, yeah, and then, uh, I mean, that mean that her sister would be Iona Sky and Donovan Litch. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's her brother, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we get a little bit of... uh celebrity connection to this movie since you know we didn't get peter mayhew to be in the movie but at least we got the daughter of donovan to be in here so a little bit of something something so 
Yeah, so that's about, as I peruse my notes, that's about all I have. Obviously, we didn't really dig too deep into the movie. Lots of great rampaging scenes. There's a great scene in the trailer park where he just indiscriminately kills people. It's also the only nude scene in the movie where we where one of the girl's shirts kind of gets ripped off and she's bare-breasted as she is slammed against the tree, <laughs> showing you that Rawhead Rex doesn't give a rat's ass if you're a man or a woman, just if you're a pregnant woman then, you know, he might give you some concessions. So anything else that you guys want to add on here at the end before we call it a day? Yeah. Another thing we didn't talk about was the musical score of this movie because it's just in your face for the whole movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, the reason I – well, probably the reason I forgot to bring it up is because the special feature with the composer is so dull. He is such a – he is the definition of a dry English person. Like (laughs) – like kind of mumbled when he spoke, didn't necessarily talk about the most interesting things that had to do with the production of the, you know, he talked about a lot of technical stuff that most people probably wouldn't care about. Some would, yeah. of course, but yeah, I just, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is like watching Bob Ross, you know, it's putting me to sleep. What the hell's going on? <laughs> but, uh, that push. But it was a great score. And I love the theme. I'm actually going to tack the theme onto the end of this episode. So uh, when you hear the music at the end, that's the opening theme for the movie, which I actually really liked. That big orchestral kind of swell up. I I just thought that was really cool. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I definitely forgot about the score. Thank you, Derek. (laughs) Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. just like, what's your favorite shot of in the movie? Mine, Mine, of course, is probably the probably the poster image where he just comes out of the ground. Like, yeah. I I wish they didn't do the thunder and lightning in the background because it almost makes it look like an eighties rock video. That's what I I mean. And that's valid. That's absolutely valid. If you like it, you like it. If I look at this as just an eighties music video, then yeah, it totally fits. But it almost comes off as a little too convenient. Right when he comes out of the ground, bam, lightning strike, and yeah. it lights up the whole sky. Yeah, it's like, it's not like, bad. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's not a bad shot, necessarily. It's just a little heavy-handed is all. Like there, there, there could have been a lot of really cool slow shots of him coming out of the dirt and then kind of shaking the dirt off him in slow motion. That could have also been really cool. But, you know, they went with what they went with, and it does work for a lot of people, so rock on. Um, my favorite shot of the movie is actually when uh, Howard is out on his walk and he sees Rawhead at the top of the hill. That's and a great Rex, shot, too. Uh, and he's just standing there holding the head of the guy that he just decapitated in the previous scene. Yeah. I love that shot. I didn't even notice that he was holding the head the first time I watched it. When I when they repeated the scene during the special features, I'm like, oh, shit, he was holding that guy's head. I didn't even notice. So, yeah, that totally makes it my favorite shot of the movie. <laughs> Good shit. Hell, yeah, hell, yeah. Uh, Don, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Favorite shot would probably be, I mean, the, the shot of the severed head would, prob- would probably be up there. Trying to think back because there's not really like a whole lot of like just striking imagery because it's just kind of like a lot of the same thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. folk horror imagery, which goes with like I understand why this would be on that folk horror documentary. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Definitely. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for our review. 
of Rawhead Rex. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. This is Mr. Venom saying goodnight on behalf of Derek B. and Donna Nelly. Once again, thanking you for joining us on episode 22 or 23. Either way, thank you so much for joining us on behalf of Don and Derek. Hope to see you next month. Not sure what the movie we're going to do is yet, but we'll obviously talk about it after we get off here. And again, thank you all so much. Go out and see Godzilla one more time. If you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you? If you've seen it less than six times in the theater, get back out there. Let's get this thing over that hundred million mark, which it may already have done. Like I said, depending on the updated numbers, but again, Thanks, folks, and we'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye, folks. Goodbye. Rawhead. Later. Uh, Rawhead. I still want to know who called him Rex. Rex.